Welcome to Beneath the Wing. Just like air passing over the wing of an aircraft provides lift, the people we meet can also give us lift in life by sharing their stories of strength and success, connecting us all. Beneath the Wing explores the stories of those connected with the Minnesota Air National Guard's 133rd Airlift Wing with a little humor and learning along the way. I'm your host, Wing Command Chief, Mark Legfold. Joining me today on Beneath the Wing is Captain Joe Gertz. He's currently the detachment commander of the 210th Engineering Installation Squadron. But before that, he actually started out as an enlisted person in the same organization, which I'm super interested in. Before we get started, since this is the first recording of Beneath the Wing, let me tell you a little bit about why we're doing this and what the purpose of Beneath the Wing is. The place we work and serve is pretty special to a lot of us. And while the mission and tasks we do are important, it's the relationships and the people that really make a difference. I'm a big leadership development guy, and the more I've learned, the more I've realized that the connection to each other matters almost as much as the rules and regulations we have to follow. So in that spirit, Beneath the Wing will help us not only get to know people connected to our wing, but also how they've grown, changed, and have become the leaders they are today. So... Captain Gertz, thanks for joining me today thanks, and being the first of many stories we get to highlight. I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I mentioned in your introduction that you used to be enlisted. Now that you've been a commissioned officer for about nine years, That's correct? Yeah. what's the difference and why did you choose to leave the enlisted force? <clears throat> well, obviously, being, a, being an officer, there's a lot more... Uh, I'll say different type of responsibility. I think there's responsibility at no matter what rank you're at, or what level. Um, ultimately, I chose to to cross into the commissioned world from enlisted because I felt like I had the ability to make a bigger difference and a bigger impact on my organization as an officer. So, um, you know, instead of working at the person level, I was working at the. I decided to get into the process level and work into the strategic level planning and processing. So when you talk about um, moving away from the person level and into the process level, you still do a lot of people kind of work, don't For you? For sure. And in fact, you know, it's funny that my initial thought process was to get into the process and think about strategic planning and operational level planning. Come to find out, especially in the role that I'm in now, I probably handle more people processes than I do any other type of process now. So I'm doing more with people than I probably ever had imagined, uh, but it's it's a it's the management and the leadership of the people versus the interaction and the personal uh, lower level interactions. So when you work with people, that's a high reward, but it's also a high challenge uh, environment to work in, isn't it? For sure. Yeah. Every uh, every situation you get dealt with, I think, regardless of your position, is different. And then when you start throwing the the unknown human involvement inter and interactions in there, uh, again, every situation is so drastically different that it's very difficult to, um, you know, put a specific, uh, uh, like uh, a specific cause or a specific result to a situation. Kind of hard. Yeah. So nine years ago, you you were an enlisted guy. Ten years ago, you were an enlisted guy. And when we come into drill, 
Um, one of the things that I really like is we get to work with people we really care about and respect and that are, I would consider, our friends. And then you move into the officer role and um, now you're the boss. Mm -hmm. And on the week to week, right, your responsibility is you're the boss here at the 210th and you coordinate with the traditional commander, right? Correct. So was that hard? Has it been hard where sometimes you've had to sit across the table from one of your friends and now your friend screwed up and you got to hold that person accountable. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, my, my leadership style is, is such that I like to keep things lighthearted. I like to make sure that people understand that I care about them as individuals. Um, you know, we've all, or many of us have been through the four lenses trainings. Uh, I like to say that I'm a, I'm a blue in denial. Uh, you know, I went through the four lenses training and thought for sure I was an orange, which is a go, go see to your pants, go with the flow, whatever happens, happens, and you're good to go with everything. Uh, but as we went through the training, I ended up becoming, uh, more self-aware of the fact that I, I'm a blue, which is feelings based and cares about how people, uh, feel in their emotions. And I like to make sure that, uh, I, I stay true to myself and make sure that I'm fully aware of the, the repercussions of the conversation that are happening in front of me. I also like to let people know that, you know, we're all humans and I'm the same person now as I was back then. And the rank that's on my well, chest now, but you know, lapel versus sleeve earlier in the career, um, might change the level within the organization, but it doesn't change the individual that I am. And actions are actions regardless of rank and regardless of position. If you mess up, you have to face those repercussions of those actions. Uh, it, but subsequently, or additionally, if you uh, do well, regardless of your rank, you're going to be rewarded for that as well. Mm -hmm. So self-awareness, you mentioned self-awareness. And, you know, it's good. There are a lot of different tools out there that we can use. And the four lenses is one. And, and I'm a blue so I'm really people-based, but I've had to be reflective and think a lot. If, I, if I'm just a, um, if I'm working as an airman in a different career field or someplace out in the community in my civilian job, having that self-awareness helps me regardless of where I'm at. What do you do to stay self-aware? Hmm, what does that mean? Um, I think it's a matter of... I will say that I feel that there's a, a lot of people in this world that are better at being just naturally self-aware. Uh, there are others that need to practice that. And I think at the far end of the spectrum, there are also others that may never, ever get to the point where they're just self-aware. Uh, I feel like I'm somewhere in between the just naturally self-aware and you need to practice it. I think it's a muscle that you can ever develop uh, or continually develop. And so, you know, taking time to reflect on my day, taking time to reflect on my week or my drill weekend, I think that helps me become more self-aware. Um, additionally, I think taking time to prepare for big events or big situations allows you to become more self-aware. You, you can kind of formulate what you anticipate might be a situation that you would face in a call it a drill weekend uh, 
we had a big event over the last last weekend uh, with uh, the re the retirement slash memorial of one of our previous chiefs who passed away from cancer, and I was the the MC for that event, and I took days leading into that weeks leading into that event mentally preparing myself to uh, handle whatever might happen, whether that's uh, laughter, airplanes, tears, um, all of the above happened. And so part of being self-aware is being prepared. And I think taking the time to prepare yourself helps you become more self-aware in the moment, but then also reflecting back and help you prepare for events in the future. Did you cry? Uh, I did. I mean, ultimately, full disclosure, I tried to hold it together the best that I could. But I think at the very end, we had a a moment where uh, we decided last minute to throw uh, a, a situation where we typically is reserved, as I mentioned in the thing, typically reserved for military honors and funerals. We did taps at the end. Um, I've said you could be at a birthday party and taps will start playing and you'll get waterworks. So I, for me, that's where it really got to me and hearing taps and the emotional and the symbology be behind where we had the individual standing in front of the building. Um, I'm getting emotional thinking about it as we speak. So is it okay for leaders to have emotions like that in front of people that they lead? Uh, I would say absolutely. Yeah. I think wow. having, having a leader who can show emotion and having a leader who can be, I'll call it human, I think is extremely important. You know, you put, it brings them from a, a, a higher level of, um, presence down to everybody else's level. And I think it goes back to what I said earlier. We're all the same people, regardless of rank. Everybody cries. Everybody has emotions and everybody deals with things their own way, but a lot of times the same way. Mm -hmm. And we all struggle. If we're self-aware, we normally we're pretty comfortable with that. Correct. So let's, let's maybe get a little more self-aware of, of what, uh, what makes you tick. Mm. So I, I know you're a big fitness guy, right? I am. How, how often do you work out? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, if I'm, if I'm really hard in it, I would say, you know, four to five days a week is, is something that I strive to continue. You ever skip leg day? You can't, you can't skip you can't leg skip. day. Okay. Leg, legs are a foundation. Uh, you know, just like the people of the wing. You have to have a good baseline. You have to have a good foundation to, to support growth. Okay. So what's the junk food that makes you feel like you need to do two a days? Golly. What you, um, what's your go-to? I'm a cookie monster. I, I really am. I A good chocolate chip cookie. There's nothing better than a good chocolate chip cookie for me. I'll, uh, I'll delve into some pizza every once in a while, but... You know, chocolate chip cookies, that's my, that's my vice. I don't blame you. Me too. Yeah. Um, Okay, so let's let's talk history. Uh, Winston Churchill used to have a Manhattan made with scotch mm. instead of uh, a bourbon. If you were sitting with Winston Churchill uh, in his study, and I kind of kind of picture this, you know, smoke filled environment because he's smoking his cigar. Many, many leather bound books. leather bound books, rich mahogany. mahogany. Exactly, absolutely. Uh, and you had a chance to sit and, and chit-chat with Winston Churchill and, and enjoy a Churchill Manhattan. What question would you ask him, and, and what do you think his response would be? So 
full disclosure, I, you know, I am a history buff, but I also, you know, Winston Churchill, I knew immediately coming into, you know, this topic, uh, you gave me a little bit of a snippet of, Hey, I might ask you this question. So I had to do a little bit of thought process and I knew Winston Churchill historically has been known as one of the best public speakers in history, uh, specifically when it came to, you know, speaking to British Parliament and talking to soldiers during World War One, World War Two, And so, you know, I think if I had to ask him the question, how do you become a good public speaker? Because I think to be a good leader, part of being a good leader is being able to communicate well and uh, efficiently and succinctly and clearly to your, to your uh, I'll call it airmen, but your audience. And so how, you know, his prowess as a public speaker, how did he become so, so good at it? And, you know, you look at some of his historical speeches and the, the imagery that he presents in his speeches, the emotion that he, that he uses within the words that he speaks, I think that would, if, if I could assume he would tell me or give me advice, use imagery, use emotion, understand who your audience is and speak to your audience, but let the audience develop what their vision of what you're trying to, to speak to is, uh, is saying. And I think if I can give an example, if that's all right with you. Sure. So he gave, you know, one of his maybe best known speeches was the, you know, the fight on the beaches speech back in the forties, I think early forties. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm just going to read it, but he said, we should defend our Island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. So as you, as you hear that, as you read that, you can, I think, physically vision or envision soldiers fighting in the streets, on the hills, on the beaches, on the landing grounds, at whatever cost is necessary to, 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 to succeed. So. Mm-hmm. And he meant that for the, the entire island of England, not just the, the soldiers that he was Correct. And if people really want to hear that part of the speech... I'm going to refer them to an Iron Maiden tune that's out there called <laughs> Run to the Hills, which uh, might date my music tastes, but, uh, you know, okay, still. Totally okay. Anybody that wants to weave Winston Churchill into a metal song, I'm, I'm all in favor. I'm totally on, on board with that one, for a- sure. Absolutely. So uh, it, public speaking and communicating, that's something that can help everybody in every facet of their job, regardless. Sure. Is that something you're still working on? Yeah, I think. Um, what do you do to work on that? You know, so there's Toastmasters that I've I've been haven't been involved in, but it's something that I've always wanted to try to you know dip my toe into. Um, we've had some commanders here in the past that have been Toastmasters, and you know you can sense that you can experience w- the the level of uh, practice that they get in those types of things. But I think being available, just doing public speaking, stuff like this, stuff with, um, you know, starting small, getting into small groups, but the Chief Strickland Memorial, you know, being comfortable in front of people is a difficult thing for a, just about everybody to do. And it it only gets easier with time and with practice. And so to be, 
to get better at public speaking, you just have to do it. Did you grow up shy? No. Gosh, no. So it's not too far of a reach for you? I would say not. No. Okay. What's been a far reach for you in your job? What's been hard? I mean, everybody grows up and they've got their, you know, their past and then they join the military or they join their, their new job and they have to shift and become good at something that they weren't good at growing up and they really had to work at. Mm. What's been a struggle for you? Gosh. Um, you know, interestingly enough, I would say the becoming a leader has been, I don't want to say a struggle, but it's been something that I've, I've had to work very hard to, I'll, I'll say I'm, I'm a successful leader. I, I'll let other, I'll let others maybe give me their own opinion on that, but, um, I've had to work very hard. I think the human interaction portion of leadership comes very naturally to me. I'm able to communicate. I, I enjoy sitting down with people and talking and discussing, but with leadership, with management, with, um, you know, that level of, of progression throughout your career becomes the administrative side of things. And as a outgoing extroverted people person, the introverted sitting behind your desk doing the administrative side of things has been a difficult thing for me to, to kind of uh, get better at and succeed at. And you have so to chain yourself to your desk? I do. I do. There's got to be specific times and timelines where I have to make sure that I'm dedicate, dedicating to the administrative side of things. Otherwise, I'll just go do what makes me happy and go talk to people and yeah. be outside of my office. It's hard these days. COVID-19 has changed the way everybody is doing their work. And we're, we're having this conversation on the 23rd of July, 2020, and everything is different. And just yesterday, the governor of Minnesota put a mandated mask um, a rule out there for, for our state to follow. What's Knowing your propensity to want to go talk to people in person, face-to-face, -face, what's been your hardest adjustment to the way we're doing business now. The going back to the management side of things. And so, I'm not just talking here at the base. I'm talking, you know, every everyday life because sure. we're all struggling with with this. But yeah. Um, so the from a work perspective, I would say one of the biggest changes is having to try to figure out that whole telework process. Wasn't something that I was accustomed to. However, I can say that it it's been a successful transition because being on a telework side of things, you want to be respectful of everybody's time. And so you become more efficient in your direction. You come more, become more efficient in your use and choice of words. Um, you know, instead of opening up a conversation for anybody to just talk, you realize you have to specifically call out people. Otherwise, everybody's talking all over themselves because they don't have that eye to eye contact. I'm OK, you're going to talk. I'm going to talk. Now it's your turn. You have to physically call people out. And so, you know, there's some efficiencies that have been earned and gained through the, the telework process. OK, so how about at home? What's the, been the big adjustment? You know, I've got uh, some young kids. How many? So I've got two two young kids that are six years old, twins, boy and girl, and um, you know, trying to communicate to them what all of this is like or what this means. I think is a struggle. 
why do people wear masks? Why are, what's, what's this COVID? What's the Corona? You know, those, all of those things that trying to communicate that to a young person is sometimes difficult. And so for me, trying to make sure that I'm communicating why masks are important and why we do what we do, why we're keeping the distance and trying to make sure that that's just part of their instilled part of life now versus something that we just have to do for a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. We talk about generational shifts, you know, and the greatest generation was defined by World War II and, and the end of the Depression. Correct. Uh, do you think that this is something that is going to define kids, your kids' age, into a, a completely different generation that has a different set of norms? And what do you think that's going to look like? Man, um, that's, I guess, crystal ball question, right? What is the future going to look like? If we could all predict what it was going to look like, I think we'd all be, well, obviously richer, right? We'd all be much more richer than we are. But I would say <clears throat> this has undoubtedly been a moment in our history that is going to change the way that we operate. Um it's new, but it's, I think it's a long lasting uh, practice, something that we're gonna have to just get used to. Mm -hmm. um, I think that if we, if we could look 10 years down the road and see how the, the, the actions that have been taken by the government uh, and by our social world with respect to the coronavirus and COVID um, is going to drastically alter what our children and our grandchildren are probably going to look like mm -hmm. and how they're going to operate. And I think it's a, you know, there's a lot of different factors to that. There's the school factor with, you know, my kids were in kindergarten when finishing up their first year of school and then all of a sudden they were forced to go to homeschool, which takes them away from their social friendships with their kids, which is, in my opinion, one of the, the biggest misses when it comes to keeping kids out of school. I completely understand the purpose behind it, and the safety of the kids is the most important thing in the teachers. But you're missing a big portion of that social development. Mm -hmm. And so it'll be interesting to see how the future shapes with if we continue down the same same path yeah having been in education for public education for 10 years before i came out to the base full time i i have absolutely no idea how i would teach a classroom full of of kindergartners or even or sixth graders sixth graders might be a little easier but you know how do you do the social uh interaction part mm -hmm. of what school is really all about when we had the state activation and we went from having virtual drills for three months and now suddenly everybody was here. I walked through the back bay of the 210th here and, and I saw everybody was here and they were talking and playing cards and doing some training and it looked like drill weekend, but you could definitely tell these people are here and they care about one another and they're just happy to be together again, mm -hmm. even though the circumstances were, were awful. So yeah, I think things are gonna change. 
Hey everybody, Techstar Jesse Todd here. I'm one of the newest production recruiters at the 133rd. We've got a couple of vacancies opening up here, one for services and one for logistics plans. If you guys know anybody that's interested, aunts, uncles, family, friends, please have them give me a call. 612-713-2034. Have a great day. Okay, we're picking up where we left off with Captain Joe Gertz, the detachment commander of the 210th Engineering Installation Squadron, and he agreed to sit down with me today and talk a little bit about his experiences as an officer and as a former enlisted member here at the 133rd Airlift Wing in uh, the Minnesota Air National Guard. So coming back from a break, I, I like to start a little bit with just something a little more light. So. Sure. I'm going to ask you a question, and you're limited to one word. Oh. So let's just not be a politician today and just give a quick one-word answer. It's rapid fire. Chief, do you know me? Yeah. I'm kind of like, I like to talk a little bit. Sure. Yeah, I'll well, do my best, though. Okay, we're, we're going to stretch you a little bit. <laughs> uh, and I'll, I'll just ask you some quick-fire questions so we can get to know you a little bit better in a short time. So soccer or football? Football. Favorite animal? Let's go with uh, bald eagle. Best dessert? I said it before, chocolate chip cookie. I, I heard you then. Movie that made you cry? Can I say The Notebook? Man. Sure. We'll go, we'll go with that one. All right. Guilty Pleasure TV show? What We Do in the Shadows. Favorite app on your phone? Oh. Uh, good question. Pass. You'll go yeah, back to that one. No, meat or veggies? Meat. Nice. Yeah. Worst thing you've ever smelled? Uh, rotting food, I'd say. Okay. What's the favorite app on your phone? I, you know, I'm a big golf guy, so um, golf GPS maybe. Okay. So the notebook made you cry. It did. What? What? It did. What about it? I mean, it's a sad movie. It, it really, is. really is. I don't know. It just gets to the heartstrings. It's one of those, uh, I don't even know that I like to admit the fact that I watched it in the first place. But, um, you know, you have to sometimes tie it, get yourself into the feels a little bit. And um, I don't know. It's, uh, it's a heartwarming, romantic movie. At the very end when, uh, you know, they're the old couple and they, they crawl into bed together. I mean, that, that got me. Yeah. Trying thinking about getting old, and maybe that was it. Maybe I cried because I was just scared of getting old. Yeah, yeah. Are you scared about getting old? <laughs> Everybody gets old. I'm not scared about it. Okay, that's that a good thing. So speaking of getting old, yep. Um, I want to go back to when you enlisted because sure. I I looked at at your timeline and it's kind of interesting. Um, you're getting to be one of the old people out here at the Gosh, base. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. I'm <laughs> older than you, which I guess we're, we're okay with that. Uh. But you joined, you raised your right hand and first enlisted right before uh, the planes hit the World Trade Center. And then you went to basic training right after. Correction. Tell me. I went to basic training, uh, left for basic training right before. Okay. And um, I tell this story uh, almost on a regular basis because it's, it's still one of my... 
of, gosh, one of the biggest memories I'll probably ever have, as maybe 9-11 is for a lot of people, right? Those that went through it can probably tell you the exact moment in time, where they were at, what they were doing. Uh, for me, I was in basic training when 9-11 hit. And so um, at the time, I was a dorm chief for my flight. And we were outside doing morning PT. And I remember vividly thinking or, or visualizing we were doing uh, push-ups on the ground. And I have my flight facing me with my back towards our drill instructors and our back. My back is to the dormitories. And my flight was the last flight of all of them. And there was probably 12 to 15 other flights to my left. And... Um, I, I happen to glance down the row as I'm doing push-ups and see a flight uh, drill instructor basically walking to every single drill instructor down the row. And subsequently that drill instructor turning towards their flight and that flight finishing their push-ups and standing up and forming up and marching off. And I thought to myself, that was very strange because obviously we don't have, you know, we've still got 20 minutes left of, of PT time in the morning. And I remember hearing the, the drill instructor that's coming down the row talking to the other, the other drill instructors, talking to my specific drill instructor saying, S just hit the fan, uh, form him up and get him inside. Mm -hmm. And my drill instructor yelled at me, said, Gertz, form him up, get him inside. And subsequently got inside and nobody had any idea what was going on. And then we ended up sitting inside our dorms for two days straight because of 9-11 because of the attacks on, on America and ultimately uh, come to find out that the Lackland Air Force Base as the primary training facility for the entire Air Force's enlisted crew was one of the top targets in, in the country if there had been another attack. And so we were stuck sitting in the dorms for two days until the, the imminent threat or immediate threat kind of subsided. So. You know, those two days were spent um, watching the news, seeing what was happening, trying to kind of get a grasp of what was going on. But in my role as the dorm chief, early on enlisted leader, um, you know, kind of helping to console some of those airmen who had family members that lived in the, in the New York area who were affected by these, working with my drill instructor and identifying those people. So, so you took on a role of caregiver. Almost immediately. Yeah. yeah. People needed that at that time. They did. How about how'd you handle yourself? Uh, you know, it was one of those, I think I found myself thankful that I didn't have to deal with some of the situations that those people were dealing with. Um, you know, and as true, as true to being a blue, as maybe I didn't recognize it then, but I do now, a lot of times you take what's in the best interest of everybody else ahead of what is in the best interest of yourself. And so you kind of put your own feelings and your own emotions aside and you deal with the people that need that, that care immediately. And then you press forward. That's a hard thing to ask somebody that's, that's a few years out of high school to make that transition. And this, this uh, kind of leads into the next question about how has this place, you know, serving in the, in the air guard is one thing, but just serving in the military is another uh, how has this place changed you? I mean, I can, I can honestly say that everything I've got is because of the military. And so, 
I mean, if I if you were to ask me what I would be doing outside of this, you know, career or this choice of lifestyle, I wouldn't be able to answer you because I have no idea. I've been I've been in the military almost twenty years now. Um, I've been full time in the military for sixteen, and so um, you know, I would say that undoubtedly the person that I am today, the man I am today, is is directly correlated to the to the military. Are you happy with the man you are today? I, I unbelievably happy. Do you think you'd be happy with who you are if you would have gone into a civilian job? thousand dollar question I guess I don't I don't know I remember being in college and having a civilian job um, working at a radio shack and applying to be a manager of a store and not receiving that that position and which then led me down the career path of being a military technician Um, I can't tell you what I would what life would look like if I had continued down that path I wish I had that answer, but I don't. That's the million-dollar question, isn't I would, it? I would hope that I would be happy with my life, and that goes back to that self-awareness and being comfortable in your own skin, being proud of the person that you become and proud of the the leader or the teacher that you can be of your, of your children. Um, so I, I guess to answer your question, I, I hope I would be as proud as, of myself as I am today. If I hadn't chosen the military path. No regrets? No regrets. No regrets. Good one, (laughs) for sure. Well, I I have to say, having known you as as a tech sergeant and knowing you now, you're uh, you're still somebody that I I look up to and respect a great deal. And I'd want to thank you for taking a little bit of time and sitting down with me and telling me a little bit more about you so we can... can build the connections around here at the wing, so... Well, the feeling is mutual, I have to say. You know, couldn't be happier with... uh, Having a, a great command chief at the at the wing and uh, a friend uh, in you, chief. So thanks for letting me be here. I'm honored to be not just part of the podcast, but the first. So um, thanks so much for letting me be involved. Well, we appreciate it, and uh, thanks again for sitting down with me. Join us next time on Beneath the Wing, where my guest is going to be the one and the only Colonel. Robin Scar, and he's getting ready to retire, so he's agreed to sit down with me and tell me all about his warm and cuddly side. So we're looking forward to that. Thanks again to Captain Gertz, and we'll see you next time.